and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Hi. I was wondering if you had something. I was going to give you a chance. You should warn me next time. <laughs> Why? Something Man. like, hey, be prepared with something. Let, let, let's go back. Awesome. Let's go back to how we never do any advanced planning. I realize that we don't do any show, show prep, but you could at least tell me, hey, I'm about to throw the opening of the show in your general direction. You might want to be prepared. Hey, I, I'm, I'm throwing the opening in your direction. Well, we just finished it, so there oh, we go. Okay. So, since you obviously have no way to start this week. I just didn't know if you wanted to talk about where we were with the World Series and that we could be by the end of the day as we are recording, we could have a new winner. No. See, that would be why I didn't. No. Look, we are recording on Sunday. Currently, the Cleveland Indians are up 3-1 to one against the Chicago Cubs in the World Series battle. All I am asking is that tonight's game at Wrigley Field go to the Cubs. That's all I'm asking. I don't think I'm asking too much. It won't tie the series. It'll still be a 3-2 series. Then the Indians can come back home, win it, take it all, and everybody will be happy. But the Cubs... Except for, except for the Cubs fans. The Cubs need to win. A, trust me, winning a game at Wrigley Field will be enough. <laughs> it will be enough. I promise you. Not to mention that pretty much the uh, consensus of all of my baseball-loving friends say that the Cubs will probably be in the World Series next few years consistently. There is definitely that possibility. They have built quite a farm team, and a lot of the Indians players that we have that are good today, we only have them this year, and they're old. So you're saying that they bought the World Series? Is that what you're um, saying? I'm pretty much telling you they bought the World Series. Worked for the Marlins in 97. Well, yeah, that is true. <laughs> anyway, so you know, so there guys, is my crack analysis on the World Series. And we'll take that and we'll go talk about two guys who probably don't care about the Indians or the Cubs. Um, there's a lot of people that don't care about either the Indians or the Cubs. Do you want to narrow that field down a little bit? Ross Braun and Toto, Toto Wolf. Hmm. Who... We, you know, we didn't mention this a couple of weeks ago. A couple of and we, weeks. And, and I meant to, and it completely slipped my mind. Uh-oh. Because the only announcement came via Twitter from oh. Susie. I know what you're talking about. That now. Toto is going to be a dad. Not Susie. Susie won't be a mom. But Toto oh, I was going to say it'd be weird if Susie was going to be a dad, but okay. Um. <laughs> Trust me, Susie, pick the dad job. You want the dad <laughs> job. Given a choice, take the dad job. Yes, Susie Wolf is expecting, and we're just naturally assuming that it's a baby. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and not a velociraptor. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, she could be expecting a contract to drive in Formula One. Well, you know, it could be a fast baby, knowing the heritage there. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I got nothing else there. But, yeah, Susie's pregnant, and you can draw all the images you want from that. Images? I don't think I want those. Okay. So, Ross Braun and Toto Wolf. Toto has come out in the press, and he has said, you know, even though there were all these comments that were made about um, – 
about me in Ross's book, and it wasn't particularly flattering, our relationship is still intact. Yeah, it's exactly the same as it was before the book. Crappy. <laughs> well, no, what he says is, first of all, there was lots of controversy around the book he has written, but succession and transition are never easy. It's a delicate matter. For me, it's no problem. And actually, we've been in touch, and he has said some quite nice things about us not dropping the ball, and the relationship is intact. Ross has huge experience. He's the right personality and has the technical knowledge of potentially playing an important part in Formula One going forward because he thinks it's not a bad idea if they go and hire Ross. Ah. I don't think that Ross has any interest in it because he doesn't want any part of the politics. Right. He said this. He doesn't want any part of the politics. So, yeah, we'll see where that goes. But... At least Toto is saying publicly that he's not the least bit upset by Ross's comments. Well, I'm glad that Toto is not upset. I haven't heard anything. Ross's camp is Ross. uniquely silent. And yeah, he, he's pretty quiet now. I think he's letting the book do his talking at this point. Um, some news from Williams. It seems that uh, Sir Frank is in the hospital recovering from pneumonia. Oh, I hope Sir Frank is doing well. Should we send flowers, balloons, a gift? Okay. What hospital? We will need to know these things. He's sending gifts to every hospital in England in hopes of finding the right one. I don't know. Call um, your girlfriend, Claire. But apparently um, he is making a slow and steady recovery. Um, he actually was diagnosed uh, back in Monza oh, in wow. September. Yeah. Um, now, according to uh, team CEO Mike O'Driscoll, this is a new person. I've never heard of this guy. Uh, but Mike says he's been a fixture in the paddock for so many decades now that it is strange not to have him with us. But he's had a tough time in hospital and has con contracted pneumonia. He's making a recovery, a slow and steady recovery. We hope to see him back and grow very soon. We all know how determined he is. Um, but Claire also has not been at the races. Um, she's remaining in the UK to stay close to her dad. Um, O'Driscoll says that uh, they expect Claire to be back at a race, um, but she has wanted to stay close to home, close to Frank. Um, but in this modern world, you know, you're never more than a phone call away. So they stay connected, and she's part of everything that happens on a minute-by-minute -minute and day-to-day -day basis. Um, they hope to see her by the end of the year, and hopefully that will be by Abu Dhabi. Wow. Um, that makes it sound like uh, she's gotten pretty good and scared. Yeah, it, the the fact that she hasn't been to the races doesn't speak well. Hmm. It's going to be a very, very sad day when uh, Frank passes. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. He's the, not a spring chicken. He's not. He's a tetraplegic. Tetraplegic. That, that, that's what it says here. Um, he's a tetraplegic. Um, and he's b actually been in a wheelchair, and we've seen this since 1986 following a car accident. Mm -hmm. But they say he's a tetraplegic in this. I don't know what that is. I would assume three. Okay. That wouldn't be try? I we could discuss the etymology of that word all you want, but... So last week we talked about um, the possibility, the strong possibility, that Ron Dennis may be soon unemployed. Yes. Now, since then, Ron has come out and he has said that 
uh, he will leave McLaren when he's good and ready to leave McLaren. And he's not good and ready to leave McLaren. Which will be exactly five minutes before they tell him that you're leaving McLaren. Tell him to get the hell out. Um, however, there has also been reports that Ron has already been notified that his contract will not be renewed at the end of the season. Just because he doesn't have a contract doesn't mean he won't be at McLaren. True. That is the uh, Ron Dennis way. So the next question is, okay, if Ron goes away, who would take over? There have been some, some interesting names that have popped out. Um, one of which might mean the return from the unknown bunker of Martin Whitmarsh. <gasps> Martin could come back. I like him. He's a dapper man. Apparently, the share the the majority shareholders who brought Martin on in the first place kind of like Martin. So there has been talk about that, but there's also been a talk that Zach Brown of the Zach Brown Band. No. Oh. Thought we were going to get musical with the McLaren team now. No. Zach Brown is, um, he's apparently, he, he's well known in the sporting world for commercial deals and as a, a sports promoter in general, as opposed to a Formula One promoter in general. Uh, but he's apparently well res respected uh, in several motorsports series, including ones in the U.S., for being someone who can close financial deals and sponsorship deals. Oh. Which comes, you know, something is something that McLaren could need. Now, word, his, word is McLaren has reached out to Zach mm. about his services. Um, but also what we found out is uh, – Next year, McLaren is losing yet another sponsor. ExxonMobil is leaving to go to Red Bull. Ooh. However, in recent weeks, we have heard that McLaren has had success, and they have actually secured a new partnership deal for fuels and lubricants. Oh, that's important. Which is what the ExxonMobil deal was. BP Castrol will oh. be taking over. Now, Castrol already has a sponsorship deal, I believe, with Force India. I think, I think that's right. I think that's their deal. Um, but they would be replacing ExxonMobil, who had been with McLaren for 21 years. Well, maybe it was time. I guess. So BBC also said, in, in addition to uh, Martin Whitmarsh and uh, Zach Brown— They've also mentioned that McLaren may have reached out to Ross. Yes, Ross Braun, that Ross. The Ross. Mm -hmm. And also former Sainsbury boss Justin King, who was also mentioned uh, in the original uh, Manor Marusha takeover mm -hmm. as a possibility of a, uh, taking a senior leadership role there, but that didn't happen. Right. So he's been sniffing around for a spot for a while. Yeah. Now, I have a I have a dark horse candidate. Well, if you're going to suggest me, it's really dark horse, like not happening. Like that would be a unicorn, honey. That's how real <laughs> that would be. Um, no, I had I, it just hit me. I mean, strike of lightning. It hit me as to what is going to happen. Remember. That really odd 
video message that Jensen Button put out about what he was going to be doing and how he's going to be involved with the team next year. But it was all cloak and dagger and not so really Je- sure. You think Jensen's going to take over? I think that Ron Dennis is going to get replaced by Jensen Button. Interesting. I, I'm, I'm I don't know if that's he, a dark horse concept, but think it I, through. I, I think he's got a good level of expertise. I don't think he's quite ready for such a role. Oh, I don't know if he he would want it, but I think that the dissolving of the Ron Dennis contract and the holding Jensen in this odd limbo state seems exactly primed and right for him to take over. I mean, who better? Hmm. So let me just finish with this thought, and then we'll move on to the next thought. And, and, and no, I, I see where you're going. I don't want to get too far away from that. Wait a minute. You don't think I'm being utterly ridiculous? Not completely. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because I, I want to loop back to that. Um, like, like I mentioned, that Ron's been telling his friends and his confidence that he will decide when or if he will step down and not anybody else. However, the BBC says that it's n- really not clear if he's in a position to make such a decision because he's not a, minor, a majority shareholder. Um, but if his contract is, is not renewed, as it stands right now, he would remain a 25% shareholder but would have no active role in or power in running the company. Ooh. So now let, let's loop back to your idea. Okay. And there's a reason why I want to go to this. This past week over on um, uh, BBC's Five Live, their pre-race build-up coverage that mm-hmm. they did, um, they had a gentleman on, and I don't remember his name, who actually was a, he, he used to be with McLaren. He has since retired. They had him on, A, because he'd been with McLaren, and, and B, because they were in Mexico. And, hey, look, he's a Mexican. So let's get this guy who knows something about autosport. They bring him on. But anyway, one of the things that they had talked about was this situation over at McLaren. And this gentleman had a very interesting point, and I think it's a pretty valid one. And he held not just McLaren but several other teams as examples of why this is a problem. What he said is that you know it used to be when he in, in his day in Formula One and he was I think he retired back in the nineties, um, but in his day in Formula One, every team had a team principal, and the purpose of that team principal was they were the leadership and the direction of that team. They weren't the guy who was designing the car or necessarily setting the strategy for what was happening on day to day at a race and what tires to use and any of that stuff. But they were the public face, the figurehead of that team that was who that team rallied around for direction and organization and all of that stuff. Okay. And what he says is that if you look at many teams, including McLaren, they have either eliminated that team principal or they have diminished the role of the team principal to such a level that – they are not in that role of the leadership figurehead for the team. So he's saying that what is wrong with Formula One today is we don't have enough team principals? Not necessarily Formula One. He, specifically certain teams. Okay. That there are teams that are struggling, McLaren being one of them, Ferrari being another one, Sauber's another one that he called out, where either – there is not that one central figure to provide that leadership 
or that one central figure, as in the case of Sauber or Maurizio Rivabene over at Ferrari, they're just not good at that position. Ah. They're not achieving what they need. They're not rallying the troops like they need to, possibly by, oh, signing more drivers than they have seats for. And Not being able to count is something that I think a team principal should be able to Possibly avoid. not being wise enough to um, not publicly threaten in the media your four-time, four-time world champion driver with their job. Well, yeah. Because, you know, what happened yesterday was yesterday, and they need to earn their seat today. Yeah. So this is what you're thinking is based on this guy um, who claims that the problem with these teams is that they don't have a central leading figure that's strong and good at their job. Um, that Jensen, being the guy that he is, would be that kind of rallying figure. Yes. He, he could potentially do that. He is very well respected on both sides of, of the – on every – area of that team Mm -hmm. you know the engineers like him the drivers like him the media likes him maybe yeah that that is a role that he could do i mean right now you look at mclaren in particular who is running that team well wasn't that when you told me about this uh conversation with uh on five live didn't i look at you and go so what is eric boulier's job these days and and that's an excellent question you know is it eric boulier is it ron dennis is it this guy that they just hired from volkswagen a couple of weeks ago who's got his own who's driving the bus over there the pigeon possibly and that could be the problem (laughs) don't let the pigeon drive the bus there, there you go. That is the. There's your. There's your. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. Don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Done. Thank you, Mo Williams. <laughs> And now that we just lost everyone um, who does not have a child who read Mo Williams' books, um, do go back and read them. They're very cute. Pigeon <laughs> Finds a Hot Dog is my favorite. Okay. So, moving on. Now, now that we've gotten that out of the way. Um, word is what coming- ridiculousness is next? Yeah. Word is coming out of Malaysia who I believe only renewed their contract last year or the year before to great fanfare that of how thing, how great things were going that now they're upset and they're threatening to drop the race. Well, they did remove, they did change the calendar around that. I think that I really affected their attendance. Well, what they're saying is that um, there has been a decline in attendance in recent years uh, and according to the New Straight Times, there's been a drop of 10% year-on-year. Year. Uh, this year's race only saw 55 to 60% capacity crowd, which Whoa, is terrible. Um, and the organizers are no longer sure, sure that the worth – the organizers are no longer sure that the race is worth its sanctioning fee. Wow. But, I mean, 
we did tie one hand behind Malaysia's back by putting it right next to Singapore. And that's what I think is the biggest issue there. And supposedly Singapore is seeing a decrease as well. They're only like four or five hours away from each other. And, you know, before there was, what, four months, five months separation between Mm -hmm. the two races. Now that they are back to back, I can't imagine that they're not cannibalizing attendance off of each other. You would think so. I mean, when they're months apart from each other, you have that opportunity of somebody going, oh, I had a lot of fun in Malaysia. Let me go to the Singapore race. Yeah. Or, you know, doing that type of thing. But when they're a week apart, that's a lot of money to have to spend in one shot. Well, take a look at it this way. Okay, if you you, you do the cost comparison, and and I understand that a race at Mid-Ohio Motorsports Park is not a true apples-to-apples comparison. I get that. Right. But if you look at what we just did for next year and what we we did this year when it came to Mid-Ohio Motorsports Park, for what, $250, we have access to every single one of their events throughout the entire year, whether it's a NASCAR race, an IndyCar race, karting, SCCA, to just club events that that have rented out the track. We've got access to, to the track, access to the pit lane and pit wall at every one of these events, with the exception of NASCAR. We don't have to pay for parking. That's included as well. And we did that for Infield what? Infield parking. Infield parking, too. Yeah, not even outfield parking, but we can park on the infield. And that's that costs us what two hundred and forty five dollars a person for an entire season's worth of events. It was for all of that. It was under. It was right about six fifty for the three of us. So just over two hundred apiece. Now, by comparison, and this is going by last year's ticket prices for Montreal, or I should say this year's ticket prices for Montreal. If we went to the F1 race in Montreal, and only this one race, and it was for the for the weekend, we'd be looking at starting at over $200, $245 a person. Is that general admission onto the lawn, or is that to get a seat? That's to get a seat. Okay. Because, I mean, that's, that's the way a lot of people do be able to afford these things, is that they'll accept the lawn seats but, and sit on the lawn. But still... We're talking that is only for that one weekend, mm-hmm. and it doesn't count parking, that doesn't count food, that doesn't give me any access to anything other than general admission areas and the fan village. Yeah. The, the math doesn't work. Well, no. I mean, we've always and, said that the and, math and, doesn't and I, work. And I get the, the whole thing that this is a global sport, it's a premium sport, it you know, and it deserves premium prices. I don't argue that at all. But when it costs, it, when, when the, the barrier to entry as a fan is that high, you're not going to get your average run-of-the-mill average Joe who can afford to go to more more than one race a season. Well, you've got that thing, and you're not going to get the average fan. You're going to get the rabid fan that 
that's that that's the difference somebody that's like okay well i enjoy watching it on television but i'm never going to spend that kind of money to go see it live but even the rabid fan isn't going to be willing to go your average rabid fan can't afford to go to every to go to more than one race okay so Beyond all of that, I want to give you another statistic about the pricing of F1. Okay. An average race, one of the 21, not anything special, just one of the 21, mm-hmm. to get into the upper echelon pricing packages runs somewhere entry level at a low end race, five grand to get something in paddock. Yeah, three to five grand, depending on the race. Three yeah. to five grand. By comparison, just. Mm-hmm level set here that same five grand would have gotten you standing room only seats at wrigley field for a world series game which has got great cachet and great you know it's got an important event piece it's it's a it's a once in a lifetime kind of thing Mm -hmm. paddock pass is not once in a lifetime kind of thing that that's what my comparison is is yeah we pay for indie we pay 200 bucks and we've got paddock um entry for the entire season Mm -hmm. if we wanted just if we wanted only indie only that one weekend we would have probably done it for a whopping two hundred dollars for all three of us including paddock passes we wouldn't have had the special end of the race paddock where it was only hard what they called hard cards which is what we were but we would have had like 90 percent of what we had for about two hundred dollars for the entire weekend and we talked to the drivers Mm-hmm. I touched the drivers. Oh, and and this includes included also IndyCar testing, mm-hmm. where we were on the pit wall. We were in a team's pit box until they rolled their toolbox over. Oh, I mean they weren't in their pit box. I mean it wasn't. Like- but but still, we were. I mean, we stood there as the cars were on the track, two feet away from the cars as they went by. Oh yes. I go back to I touched a driver. Yes, yes, you did. But Formula One, they don't want to get Bernie doesn't want to allow that level of access. Yeah, and and that's why we're hearing not just Malaysia who's saying I don't know about this now. Now the organizers are also they're starting to complain that well you know Mercedes keeps dominating and yeah they're they're playing that card which I think is a really dangerous card for the folks in Malaysia to play. Okay, why? Because the title sponsor for the race in Malaysia is Patronus. Is Patronus, who is also the title sponsor for Mercedes. Correct. Maybe you might not want to bite that hand. I know. I'm just saying. I know. But also complaining about calendar and that it's giving them problems. As expected, the U.S. Grand Prix is saying that they want Mexico moved. I don't blame them. Now, there's there's some other bad blood here, which we, we do have to mention. Okay. You, you also have to remember, and he got a lot of press last year, is the one of the key figures in getting the U.S. Grand Prix to Austin and getting it established and then was later bounced out of the, a leadership role with the U.S. Grand Prix was Tavo Hellman. Right. Mexican Tavo Hellman, who then okay. went off to Mexico City and got a Grand Prix there. Correct. 
So, yeah, there might be a little bit of bad blood between Tavo Hellman in Mexico City and Bobby Epstein over in Austin, and that could be fueling some of this. But we also knew that the first couple of years of the, the Grand Prix in Austin, that they were drawing a lot of fans from Mexico. Right. Which they're not now drawing. Right. Because why, why cross the border if you don't have to? Which then leaves the next question of, well, then how do you make this work? Especially with those races. Space. You do the old concept between Singapore and Malaysia. You put four months between them. So who do you move? And where do you move them in the calendar? I assume you take one of those races and you move them up close adjacent to Montreal. To Montreal. Mm-hmm. Do you move Texas? Which it's just as it's starting to get hot in Texas. Possibly you move it uh, into May. That way it, it's, it's not quite as bad. Or do you move Mexico City? Well, I would suggest that you move Mexico City myself. I mean, ideally, I would love to see Texas move their race anyway because they're in the middle of football season, which has its own set of issues down in the south. But I think... Football season and it's still hurricane season, as we saw last year. Correct. But it's hurricane season in May, too. No, June 1st. June 1st? June 1st. You should know this. You grew up in Florida. They this should be the ingrained s- into your head. Is they the moved to the seasons. <laughs> they expanded the seasons since I lived in Florida. It used to be only one month of August. I mean, that was only... <laughs> Back in the day when dinosaurs roamed, hurricane yeah, I, season I, wasn't I that long. I don't think it was that. But <laughs> I think it was like June to October 1st, and they moved it to November. But anyway. They've, they've increased the season. But anyway, um, I mean, there's something to be said about moving, but I think that even Montreal to Sandy, San Antonio is too close. But you got to move it so that they can be in this hemisphere, so the teams can be in this hemisphere in one shot. Yeah, because the whole, let's go to Monaco, then go to Montreal, then go to Azerbaijan, all back-to-back, was moronic. Yes. So we move Azerbaijan and put Mexico there. Possibly. The question is, when does it get stupid hot in Mexico? Um, It starts on January 1st and ends on December 31st. Well, there's a problem then. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's it's an equatorial country. (laughs) It's tropical by nature. I mean, that, that's the only other concern I've got is, you know, the, the weather. And, and high, with that altitude, I, I don't think they have quite the same issue. Okay. I think there is part of the year when you can almost survive in Mexico City. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, then that part of the year is when they should put the race. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Find out when that is. <laughs> All right, so so currently my to-do list is that I need to send flowers to Sir Frank. Mm-hmm. I need to um, write to McLaren and inform them that their best choice for team principal is Jensen Button. And now... Well, see, the problem with that, I this is where I'm going to destroy that idea completely. Because truly what you want from Jensen Button 
an alternative maybe Mark Weber is for one of those two to replace David Hobbs. True. And if Jensen is Takes team the- principal at McLaren, he can't take Hobbs's position. I understand that, but Hobbs is not going to die, so therefore... I don't know. This weekend, he wasn't sounding particularly good. I think he's got a cold. Ooh, that, he was, that was not good. Or his gin and tonics aren't working anymore. <laughs> um, okay, so I got, I got to deal with the Jensen question at McLaren. And now I've got to talk to Bernie and or Liberty Media to reorganize their race calendar for next year to suit my needs. Yeah. All right. So basically I have nothing to do this week. So moving on. See, Susie, this is why you want to be the dad. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Okay. It has been couple of weeks at least since we have gotten a truly head-shaking comment from bernie eccleston we are overdue oh no and guess what bernie delivered oh no are women appliances no um should there be wet tracks and they should put sprinklers on the tracks no or the drivers should do their jobs and shut up um what are some of the other great Bernie-isms? How is he shaking his head at cl- his hand at clouds this week? Well, he was expressing his displeasure over um, the flagrant violations of track limits and how people have been complaining about said fragrant, fragrant, bleh. fragrant, yeah. fragrant. They they smell good when they exceed flagrant violations. Of the track limits. See, this is what happens when you use 30-cent words. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Blatant is the word you want. Bernie has said that he can fix this, and he wants to fix this. He can make these track violations go away. He says it's easy. It's really easy. And how, pray tell, is Bernie going to solve all of our track limit exceeding problems he wants to build 40 centimeter walls around the corners and when one of our drivers dies well yeah he he says that uh formula one it's just it's too safe he said you know when people come to a race and nobody's going to get killed well you know that's great but um (laughs) Yeah. Wait a minute. Just just stop there. He says they keep saying that they mustn't go off the road. I promise they won't. But it gets better. This this is the best part. He says he cites Fernando's escape from his dramatic crash at the season opening Australian Grand Prix as another reason to consider change. Okay, here we go. Bernie's exact words. What Fernando had in Australia. You wouldn't think he was going to walk away. What we ought to do immediately, he said, what we ought to do immediately that happens is have big sheets all the way around. Bring the ambulance in and take him away. He's gone to the hospital, and later on you announce that, thank God he's out. A bit of showbiz. People like that. Oh, no. Yes, those were his words. I did not add that. Oh, no, he did not. He did. He did not. <laughs> oh look, Fernando is back from the dead. 
Everybody's going to show those reruns. But did he make it? Did he not? Oh, you'll have to tune in later to find out, people. Oh, my word. He so did not say that. <laughs> I told you, we, we were long overdue <laughs> for a head-shaking moment from Bernie Eccleston. Oh, I'm almost speechless. Almost. <laughs> Whoa. Seriously? I mean, please tell me you, you made this up to just I, pull I, I my I read leg. most of that article, and it was a lot of just Bernie weaving around and around about building the walls and safety. He's going to build and, a hey, wall. Hey, there's safety and, and all of that stuff. And then I got to the, this. This was how that, artic- that, that article ended, and I read that, and it was the same thing of, what? Did, did, no. <laughs> I only have one question. Who's going to pay for this wall? What I would, yeah, I, I just not going to go there either. Have you ever seen them in the same room? I mean, could we make the, the supposition that they are the same person? Okay, moving away from that. Okay. Okay. Th- this is actually my question that I have. Mm-hmm. Okay, I- I- if you take away the insanity of his last bit of <laughs> remarks, just his talk about you'd keep people on the tracks if you had walls built. Right. Think about how the season works in the various venues that we end up. Just throw this quiz out here. What types of race venues do we have where there's very little runoff area and walls right along the track? Monaco. Not just Monaco. What what type of tracks are those? City. Street tracks. Street tracks. Could it possibly be that he's pushing for more street tracks? Could be in some roundabout way. Let me put it this way. Okay. He he has wanted a race in New York for years upon years upon years. We heard this talk about the race in Vegas, and he wants the race in Vegas. The idea being that a a city track, a street track, puts your racing venue right smack in a population center Mm -hmm. as opposed to, say, Austin or Silverstone or one of these other pure tracks where the track is actually 30 to 45 minutes to an hour away from the population center. So instead of having to bring the, the fans to the race, you're bringing the race to the fans. Okay. And you don't have to go through all the expense of building a dedicated race facility at that point. Well, I understand all of that. However, he's missing, and as Bernie, I'm stunned he is missing one key factor to the bring the fans, bring the race to the fans concept. Okay. When you have fans, when you have fans that can go to the race Mm -hmm. by hanging out in their own office building. Mm-hmm. They don't pay for that. Maybe, maybe not. You do the same thing that Cleveland just did with uh, the RNC. For that period, the only way you get access to that, unless you are designated as a critical employee of, of that facility, the only way you get in is if you are appropriately credentialed with race tickets and venue tickets. 
and you block them out. Yeah, it would take the a R- the Cleveland just proved, at least in the, at the RNC, that you can do that and you can get away with it. Oh, yeah. And all it takes is, you know, the Time Warner building in New York going, all of our employees are critical. Enjoy the race, guys. And maybe. New, per- new perk of your, your employment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's harder to monetize spectators when you've got something like that. I mean, that's just, you're not going to, if you do it in Las Vegas, you're not going to prevent people from staying in the hotel. Except a lot. See, the difference with Las Vegas is that a lot of those hotels don't necessarily directly overlook the strip. And instead, what the hotel is going to do is they're going to jack their rates up and Bernie will negotiate some kind of deal as part of it. So he gets a cut of those room nights is what Bernie would do. That's that's also possible. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, you might be right that he's angling for more street tracks, but. That doesn't change the fact that some of these new tracks that are going to be around for a while have huge runoff areas. Yeah. Well, and Bernie were- says he'll build a wall. Build wall at those corners. Not an issue. But they were built with runoff areas for very good cost-cutting reasons. Let's review for a second. Bernie's also said that the costs are too high, that the engine should be made available at cheaper prices, that the the costing in this whole process is too much because he can't get a big enough percentage of it. So the reason there's huge runoff areas is to allow the cars to not get killed just because they misjudge a corner. Now, should they be blatantly misjudging corners, repeatedly misjudging corners, that's where I think the better solution is sensors in the line and say, you know, mm-hmm. no ifs, no, no buts. You cross that, that sensor that's in your car to the line, there's a penalty. Those, the, those are the boundaries of play. It is the boundary of play, period, the end. It is a penalty. So let's move on a little. Okay. Because we've talked about a lot of other stuff and we've got a lot to go here, actually. Okay. Um, Mercedes says that they are um, concerned about the, poten- the potential of a Nico Rosberg Lewis Hamilton volcano. It's now a volcano? This is what they're saying. This is what Toto says. And Toto does say that they're not having any of the games anymore, the, the psychological warfare that they have seen in past years, they haven't seen over at Mercedes. Uh, Toto says that they are both in a good mood, but he's always skeptical. He said, I kind of wait if this is a volcano to erupt or not, so let's wait and see. Okay. I don't know. I think there is psychological warfare going on. Just, you know, Lewis going, well, yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but Nico still has to perform, and more often than not, he tends to crack. So you got to kind of wonder if maybe Lewis is realizing that he can sit back at this point a little bit in terms of leaning on Nico. Mm. He doesn't need to poke him like he has in the past. Or they're being two professionals and... <laughs> I almost made it through that sentence. Yeah, there, there's no way. Uh-uh. 
Okay. So, silly season driver's market. Still, we are waiting for some conclusion here. Um, the latest is that Esteban Gutierrez of Haas is getting frustrated. Okay. He believes that he deserves the seat at Haas. He has not been given confirmation, and he says that he is considering now leaving the team. Well, that's nice because didn't they make an offer to Kevin Magnuson? Well, that that's the breaking news is, is that as of earlier today, as today's Sunday, a few hours ago, word came out that Haas has actually approached Kevin Magnuson and uh, handed him an offer for a two-year deal for Kevin to come drive for them. Ah. Which, honestly, I think Kevin should jump on. I do, too. I mean, it would be great. Renault has some great potential, and if he could hang on at Renault, and, and that may be the other thing is, you know, if, if you're Kevin, take this Haas deal and walk up to Renault and go, okay, it, it's decision time now. Yeah. Are you keeping me or not? Because if you're not, I'm out of here and I'm going for where I've got the contract. But I don't want to pass it up under, a, well, we haven't decided yet. All right. So we'll see what happens. Um, but, of course, the question is, I guess Ferrari wants Gutierrez to, be, to stay at Haas. Oh, yeah, because he's a Ferrari driver. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how that one shakes out. Along the same lines, um, Julian Palmer is Palmer is feeling the strain of this competition. He says that things are rather tense over at Renault between him and Kevin. I'm not necessarily sure that it's tense between him and Kevin as much as maybe him and Renault in general. Oh, yeah. Just the way he's been shooting his mouth off and, and snapping at his engineers on the radio and the comments that he's been making in the press where— Kevin's been pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah, Jolian's not playing this 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 game quietly. Yeah. Um, Force India has said that they are not going to chase a paying driver to replace Nico. Okay. Um, they said that uh, Bob Fernley says that their financial position is strong enough at this point that they do not believe that they need a driver to come in and pay for their seat. Um, they're not expecting a driver to come in with – or at least they're not specifically looking for a driver with sponsorship dollars to come in. That's because um, they have all of Carlos Slim money from Checa. Yeah. Um, but he says that ultimately it's VJ's decision, but VJ is – giving the impression that he does not he's not looking for a driver with money. So I guess that means that Pastor Maldonado, you're not getting considered for the seat. Oh good. <laughs> no return of Pastor, please. But you know who else is eyeing this Force India seat? You know, we hear that Ocon is. We've heard Verline might be. I've heard talk of Kevin. But also now Marcus Erickson is said to be taking a look at this seat as well. Really? That he's got interest in it. Everybody wants this seat. Interesting. I don't... I, I Understanding the financial stylings of VJ Malia makes me um, yeah. wonder why you would want that seat so badly. But I get that they're like fourth in the, the constructors, so... That's the thing. That's, that's, where, that's where it's coming down to. You know, Mar Marcus says that he feels it would be stupid not to look at the possibility of joining Force India. 
But earlier this month, he said it was more than likely he would stay at Sauber. So who knows what's going on there? And Pierre Gasly is said to be weighing his Formula One options at this time. He was apparently expecting to get Daniel Kvyat's seat. He was stunned. He did not get it. He does not understand why he was, quote-unquote, overlooked. Ouch. Yeah. So he says he is now exploring alternatives to make his F1 debut in 2017. So he's looking at that Force India seat too, huh? Apparently. Um, He told Autosport that the target for him was to get into Toro Rosso next year. He didn't understand their decision and didn't get any reasons as well. He says it was looking kind of good for me, talking about it with Helmut Marco and trying to make it. He said, then I don't know what has happened, as in two or three days, everything went so quickly. They signed Kvyat. I didn't understand it. It looked like I was in the right place, but in the wrong moment, pretty much from what I understood. Wow. Yeah. And speaking of Red Bull, we didn't talk too much. Well, we didn't talk at all about the race last week. Um there was a rather perplexing moment that happened. Yes. Max coming in to the pits when apparently he wasn't called. Right. And radioing a team and going, um, hey guys, hi, uh, hello, um, you want you want to service the car? <laughs> what happened? Well, Christian Horner says that he believes Max got himself confused. Um around everything that was going on at that point. Apparently, Max had been told that it was time to push on the tires. And there's a thought that possibly that he took that to mean that he needed to push because he was about to be called in, but he wasn't actually called in. The call to push happened the lap before, which meant he would have gone past pit entrance once already and come around again when when he made the loop in. Interesting. Yeah, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense here. Now, the team recovered pretty damn fast. Oh, yeah. Um, which, honestly, if you compare that to what happened in Monaco, I think the team handled it a thousand times better. Oh, yeah. You know, this time they brought all four tires out. Well, <laughs> that also helps. There was that. Um, yeah, they, they don't know exactly what happened there, but that pretty much destroyed any chances of anything happening and then blowing up his engine that or blowing up the gearbox gearbox that pretty much was the end of it there oh yeah but um and i didn't get a copy of the audio i probably should have do you recall max being told to push or or, or being told to hold off on something and he got annoyed and said no i didn't come here to finish fourth yes max apparently has had some second thoughts oh yeah, he he's said that um, he's going to be cutting back on the radio messages because he's now concerned that some of the things that he says over the radio that then gets broadcast can come off as arrogant. Ooh, his daddy had a word with him. Uh, somebody, I think, had a word with him. Um, and as a result, he said that, yeah, it's pretty much going to be yes, no, um, understand, and, and that's about it. Keep your editorial comments to yourself. Yeah. Um, over at Ferrari, there was a bizarre incident at Ferrari during the race. Mm-hmm. Um, with Kimmy getting dispatched from his pit box uh, 
he got the green light on the little signal box. It swings down to let him know whether or not to go. While the guy on the right rear jack or, or the right rear wheel still had the gun attached to the car. Yes. Um, as a result, they immediately called Kimmy back and had him stop the car because they had no way of confirming as to whether or not that wheel was properly affixed. So as a result, Kimmy rolled back, thankfully because it's Austin and they've got that tremendous hill going into turn one, he was able to roll down the hill <laughs> and back into the pit lane. But my question is, and I get that he was off the track, but essentially he was reversing down the track and down the pit lane. Now, Lewis got a reprimand and points on his super license for backing down the pit lane earlier this season. Ferrari got fined 5,000 euros for the unsafe release, but I didn't hear anything about any kind of penalties to Kimmy. I have no idea. I mean, maybe the judgment was that it was safer for him to do what he did versus having to try to go around the track. Well, no— it would have been a, a stop the car immediately. The car would have had to have been recovered, but it potentially would have been done at that point under virtual safety car or safety car procedures. Right. As opposed to a yellow flag, in a local yellow where he just coasted down the hill. It's Kimmy. He gets away with stuff. Apparently. So should we talk statistics this week? Yes. For this week's Mexican Dram Grand Prix at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Okay. I d well, I didn't call it Autodromo Los Poyos Hermanos like last year. <laughs> okay. The Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Our second race at uh, Mexico City in its current configuration. Correct. And I got to say, and I said it last year too, the, the visuals of the stadium section and the cars going through there is really cool. And if you need to repurpose a baseball stadium, this apparently <laughs> seems to be the way to do it. That is <laughs> awesome. Because that's what that was. Right. <laughs> Absolutely awesome to be able to do that that way. So Renault's track facts for the weekend, their fact file for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that this is, again, a mix of – the previous iteration of Mexico 20-plus years ago and the current iteration. Best that I can gather. Lowest starting position for a winner is 13th. Oh. Um, highest G-force at turn 9 for 1.3 seconds is 2.8 G. And the average starting position for the winner is 2.62. There were eight winners from pole, and there is a 100% chance of a safety car. Ooh. So some quirky facts about Mexico and Mexico City. The Chihuahua is the world's smallest dog and is named for a Mexican state. It's not the other way around. Re relative to their bodies, Chihuahuas have the largest brain in the dog world. Okay. Mexico City is built over the ruins of the great Aztec city, Tenochtitlan. And because it is built on a lake, Mexico is sinking. Mexico City is sinking at a rate of six to eight inches a year, as pumps draw water from the uh, draw fresh water out of the lake for the city's growing population. That's gotta suck as a builder. Yeah. 
Chocolate was discovered in Mexico and was made by the Mesoamerican people into a sweet beverage using natural sweeteners. The word chocolate derives from the language of the Aztecs, and I'm not going to try and pronounce the Aztec word. Um, Christopher Columbus encountered the cacao bean on his fourth mission to the Americas in 1502. So he may not have discovered America, but he has he possibly introduced chocolate to the world. It, most likely. However, keep in mind that the Mayan chocolate, the using the cacao bean, was much much more bitter than what yes. we know chocolate to be today, and they often mixed it with pepper. Mm-hmm. Speaking of peppers, the habanero chili pepper is one of the hottest in the world. It's grown in the Yucatan Peninsula and can pack a punch of 350,000 scovilles. In contrast, a pimento delivers 350 scovilles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Much prefer the pimento. So this week's tire selection. The super soft, the soft, and the medium. Okay. Nico Rosberg set the lap record at 1 minute 20.521 seconds. Last year, there were 27 overtakes. Our circuit length is 4.304 kilometers for a race distance of 305.354 kilometers and 71 laps. Renault, as a constructor and as a team in Mexico, and I think it's predominantly as I don't think Red Bull ever ran in Mexico. Ah. Pro- well, recently. That, that'd be the only time that Renault's got some engines going. So as a constructor in Mexico, 20 starts, two wins, six podiums, three poles, one fastest lap, and 69 total points. Nice. So should we talk about a little about qualifying and what happened? Sure. Back to Haas. Okay. Not pretty. No. Best way to put it, not pretty. Roman Grosjean is again venting about the team's performance and the issues that they've had after qualifying last. He said this is the first time in his entire career he has ever qualified last. That's now, rough. granted, part of the reason why he qualified last was his teammate's fault. Right. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea to follow Esteban, maybe in hindsight it wasn't. But, yeah. Um, He has described the team's performance as unacceptable. Uh, He said top speed has been fine, but there's no grip and there's no balance. Um, He said there was a decent setup in FP1. The car felt okay. But then from FP2 onwards, nothing went as expected. Um, He's a second and a half behind Gutierrez. And he was one and a half tenths faster uh, or if he was one and a half tenths faster, he would have only been in P14. Wow. So the team, you know, one of the th- things that they have been struggling with is the brakes. Mm-hmm. The team is changing the brake material for the Mexican GP. Obviously, that has not helped. But the question I have is they can't be the only ones on the grid using these brakes. I mean, my understanding is they're using Brembo brakes. And there are several other teams using Brembo's as well. Brembo's not exactly new to performance autosports. So what is going on that this problem only impacts them and nobody else on the grid? could be design. It could be that they're not cooling the brakes the right way or that they're overcooling the brakes. Um, that it's not holding heat or it's releasing heat. I mean, it's all of those little twitchy things Well, I would design. think that, but 
there, there was a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks over the brake material mm-hmm. and trying to get them to change the material in the brakes. So that that's why I, it, I don't. I would have normally thought that maybe it was a cooling issue or something like that, but then why would they be leaning so much on the material in the brakes? And because I don't know. if they could have a material that held heat longer or released heat faster, depending on which way they needed it, they don't have to change the design of the car. Yeah, I, I don't know. Now, a lot of talk has happened. I mean, let's just level set for Haas for a minute, and I would like to slap Grosjean a couple of times <laughs> um, just over this whole thing. Haas has over outperformed the expectations of this year, bar none. Yes, they've had some seriously crappy races lately. But in the very beginning of the year, they did they did more points than they expected to get the whole year in their first race. I, I think that the biggest issue, though, is if they had had these kind of problems at the beginning of the year, it would have made sense. Yeah. But after the way they started the year and the way the car was performing at the beginning of the year, to have these problems start to manifest now, that's a different story. Well, and, and what that, they have not shown is improvement and been able to evolve the car. Yeah. That's where they're running into issues. Now, moving forward, they're actually going to be trying a different brake manufacturer now. Okay. Um, one of the drivers will be using brakes from Carbon Industries in Brazil, uh, and one will remain on the Brembos, and they're going to go and evaluate and make a decision from there and see what what direction they need to go. I don't know. They got to sort something out, though. So over at Renault, we only saw one car on the track. Yes. Jolian Palmer managed to break his car seriously break his car best way to describe it he broke his car he drove over some of the the bumpy curbs the razor curbs mm-hmm. and uh cracked his chassis right and he says that it didn't seem all that bad it didn't feel like a really big bump so i don't know why everything broke yeah it was a really big bump yeah and and looking at some of the pictures that have been published of the incident that took him out um he was on some of the worst curbs on the track. Oh, yeah. Um, these are like the three or four inch bump curbs kind of things. It's the beginnings of the walls that Bernie's are, Bernie is going to build. There you go. Exactly. So it's a wall seeds, as it were. They will grow into full grown walls. They will grow into full grown walls? Wall seeds. You know, they're, they're like wall vitamins. The other thing that happened this weekend is. There was continuing testing of the Halo. Yes. This week with Kevin Magnuson getting the opportunity to take the, get it fitted to the Renault and take it out for the first time. And, of course, he loved it. Um, yeah, he described it as a cap that's pulled down. Oh. He does not like it. Says he didn't enjoy the feel of it. It made it more difficult to get in and out of the car, and it actually impacted his visibility. Oh, those are not good things. Um. He might have also been saying between the lines, burn it with fire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he he uh, does not believe that this is the direction that safety should be going within a Formula One car. Wow. So, yeah, that's what we got this week. Wait, wait, there's more. Okay. So, do you know that our qualifying results have a Mercedes lockout in front row? 
with Red Bulls sitting in the second row, right? Yes, and Daniel Ricciardo was not particularly happy to end up in fourth. No. But, but, do you also know that there's a split tire strategy between the Mercedes and the Red Bulls? Uh, yeah, I've heard that, and there is some concern over that strategy. I haven't looked too deep at it yet. So our Mercedes boys are sitting on the softs with the Red Bull guys right behind them on the super softs. And according to Rob Smedley of Williams, because you know he'll comment on everybody's car, <laughs> he believes that that will give the Red Bulls a 12-meter advantage on, on the lead-up into turn one. 12-meter. 12-meter. Probably for braking would be my guess. Well, it, basically what he's – his the net of that was that 12 meters is big enough to be able to pass and that since they will be on the grippier tire, um, the Red Bulls are going to be on the grippier tire, not the longer-lasting tire, that they could actually overtake a Mercedes. Now, Daniel Ricciardo has also come out, and he has said it is fully his intention to put one of those boys behind him. And I, I understand and agree with that. I don't know if the Red Bull has the speed on the straight to do such a thing. That's the biggest problem with this track. Red Bull has definitely got the speed in the arrow in the corners for this track. And this track's got great corners for that. But there's a three-quarter mile straight. Yeah. They don't have the speed in that straight. And, and that that's where... Yeah, I, I don't see him being able to pull it off. Maybe he'll be able to pit Max. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I'm not so sure. Well, we'll see in um, about an hour and a half. So I should also mention we heard from Phil. Hi, Phil. Um, Phil uh, left us a comment over on the Facebook page. Um, yeah, he agrees that in a nutshell, I mean, there, there is more to Phil's comment than that, but he agrees in a nutshell that, yes, Nico Rosberg deserves to be world champion should he win it this year. And, yeah, overall, Lewis is still the better driver. But Nico deserves the championship this year. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I, I think that's how we're coming out also. I mean, Nico, arguably, if he wins it, will have had the better season. And it should be the driver who has the better season, not necessarily the best driver on the grid, but the driver who has the better season who should win the championship. Well, yeah. It's the driver that makes the right number of points is the winner. I mean, that's the way that works. Yeah. So the system is not rigged, and we will we will have a, a peaceful shift in power should he win. Potentially. Should he win? There's still a possibility that he won't. So far, things are going the way Nico needs them to go. He doesn't need to win. He just needs, needs to, to get, get second. second. It's all he needs. So we'll see. I think he needs catastrophic brake failure myself, but that's just me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that my outlet voice? Wow. A any kind of level <laughs> of impartiality right out the door. <laughs> I never said I was impartial. And I even said earlier, and I will own this one, 
if I wasn't an, a Lewis fan, what, what, who would I be? Who, what, what driver would I follow if I wasn't a Lewis fan? Valtteri Bottas. Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, well. but thank you. I mean, you did say in 2013. Yes. You have to go back that far. That you felt that Nico Rosberg was one of the most underrated drivers on the grid. And I hold by that. It doesn't mean I think he's a world champion. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean I think that he is the best driver. Now, he's had a better consistent season. He's had a better season. And if that wins him the championship, that's awesome. And I won't, I won't asterisk his season that way. But I do believe that in 2013 and beyond, Nico Rosberg has proven to be a better driver than anybody realized he was prior. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. And that's what I meant by that I thought he was one of the most underrated drivers. It's one more races than his dad. Hey. Yeah. Something that Jolene Palmer can't say. Not yet. (laughs) And on that note. On that note, I think we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.